0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. You guys came ready this morning. Well done. Hey, uh, welcome back, LifePoint family. Uh, It's good to see you uh, week in and week out. Guests, grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, For those of you who don't, Uh, know me. Uh, Hopefully somebody got a chance to meet you already this morning, but my name's Cale and I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus. Uh, We're grateful to have you with us this morning. Uh, Guests, there are some QR codes on the chairs in front of you. We encourage you to pull out your smartphone, point at that QR code. That'll take you to lpguest.com. You can also just type in lpguest.com into a web browser, but that's going to have the notes for you that are going to be on the screens this morning and it'll help you during our time together today. Uh, There's a guest information card there. Please take the 90 seconds it takes to fill that out because we would love to connect with you, not only personally, but online as well. Uh, I'll share more about this in the, in the coming uh, months, but I know it's getting full in here, and so we are uh, in the process of beginning uh, renovation and build out of uh, some of our back space, and so, again, I'll share in the coming weeks, but we're hoping uh, by the end of May to be done with that, and so into an expanded facility there, and hopefully that'll give us some breathing room inside of our, our space here, because I know it is uh, getting tight. A um, couple of, or one reminder at least, as we finish out our Not Without Hope series, this Morning. Uh, We've had a ton of folks engaging with us on the Drivecast using the app and going to the Drivecast. And so that Drivecast will, I think we had actually over 11,000 uses of that over this course of this series. And so uh, I hope you'll continue using that, uh, share it with friends and family. Uh, We hope really to use the Drivecast just to help point people toward the Lord on a daily basis to spend time in prayer with Him. So and it'll go back to its regular format after this series, uh, starting tomorrow, Monday through Friday. Every single day you'll hear from uh, one of our pastors or one of our staff members just kind of leading you uh, in a time of prayer, going over the message from Sunday. So, I hope you'll use that. You can find it on the LifePoint Ohio app or wherever you podcast as well. Uh, but thanks again for engaging with us on that, and I hope it continues to be helpful for you in the days to come. We, uh, as I said, are finishing out our series this morning that we're calling Not Without Hope. We've been looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to, uh, the first letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. The big idea of the series, something we've said every single week, first point there in your notes, is that Jesus is the source of enduring hope. That Jesus is the source of enduring hope. And we've kind of given the same explanation about that every single time. We've said, look, uh, if our hope for the future, if our hope for eternity is… Uh, attached or tethered to anything other than the unchanging character and finished work of Jesus Christ, and as we'll talk about this morning, the promise of His return. Uh, If it's tied to anything or anyone else, you're gonna find that ultimately those things, that anything or anyone else can and will fail you. Uh, There's nothing else that's a source of stable hope like the Lord Himself, if you're attaching it to your career. You can get fired, you can get laid off real quick, it's happened to people here. If you're attaching it to your kids, right, your kids are wonderful. But as we're gonna see this morning, this morning's a heavy morning, Uh, you could, your kids could be gone, your kids can leave the house, hopefully they do at some point in time leave the house. The relationship could be hurt there, you can't place it. It's not fair to put that expectation on a kid to say, I need you to be a functional savior for me. If it's in your spouse, spouses are wonderful. But we talked about this a few months ago in our series when we talked about the se- a season of singleness. The reality is, even if you're happily married, the chances of you and your spouse dying at exactly the same moment are very slim. And so, at some point in time in your life, you and I, we may face a season of singleness again. And if our hope is attached eternally in our spouse, they can't be that for us either. It's Christ and Christ alone. I did a graveside service just yesterday gentleman in our church whose wife, right, passed away unexpectedly, early. One of the things I was so encouraged in hearing from him is he said, man, the only thing that holding, that's holding me together right now, I know that she is with him. All right, he was expressing the reality we're going to talk about today in First Thessalonians 4, that death does not win, it does not get the final word, Christ does. And as we're going to sing in a little while, I know how the story ends, and we will be with him. Again. So my hope this morning as we go through First Thessalonians 4, we're going to be in verses 13 through 18, is really a couple of things uh, that it is, as Paul says, that will encourage uh, today believers who have lost loved ones. We're in a season of that. I've done more funerals and seen more loss in the last 18 months or so than I have in all the years of ministry before that. But it, that it, this morning is an encouragement to us to look and see, well, how does this story end? And then secondly, that it will lovingly confront those of us who are not in Christ. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that knowing where this is headed will lovingly confront you to think about your relationship or lack thereof uh, to the Lord and to hear the good news that Christ has died and rose again, that you might have new life in Him. So let's look at it. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The situation seems to be that there have been some folks in the church at Thessalonica, we think that, that have died, or at least the Thessalonians seem to be wondering about, hey, what happens to those who have died, and when Jesus comes back, there was this anticipation that Jesus was coming back right then, and what's gonna happen to them? If they've passed away, do they miss out on the resurrection? Do they miss out on new life? What happens? And so the Apostle Paul's writing to them to say, we don't want you to be uninformed about what's gonna happen at the return of Christ. And just note a couple of things. One, he says, it's okay to grieve. In fact, it's good to grieve. Sometimes I think we look at each other and in a… it, it comes from a good place, but we look at each other. It's, it's okay, right? You don't… Don't cry. We're gonna write… Christ is coming back. He, he's one. No, it's okay to cry. It's okay to grieve. It's good and healthy to do so. This is not the way it was supposed to be. Death is the result of sin. The world is broken. Jesus himself wept during his time on earth. It's okay to grieve. But Paul does say, I just don't want you to grieve hopelessly. I don't want you to grieve without hope. As you think about those who have died in Christ, he says, I don't want you to grieve without hope. I want you to grieve hopefully. I want you to grieve knowing how the story ends. Well, why do we have hope in the midst of this? We'll get to that fully, but one reason and the second thing is this. This language that he uses when he says they've fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep. I love that Paul uses that language, that the New Testament uses that language. Anthropologists and linguists tell us that you can see something of a culture's, culture's worldview, of a people group's worldview. You can see how they view the world, just through their language, by looking at the words that they use to describe reality. And so I love that as a people, Christians say, hey, it's not, it's not final. It's not the final curtain. It's not lost forever. It's they're asleep. Because what do sleeping people do? They wake up. They wake up again. So Paul's telling us something about reality here. When it comes to death in Christ, he says, hey, these people aren't lost forever. No, no, they're asleep, and one day they're gonna wake, they're gonna rise in Christ. And I find that to be so encouraging. That hit me this week thinking about, right, in the morning times, my kids, right, uh, we go in and and my boys have school in the morning. I have to wake them up. Half the time they wake me up, right, but like I go in and, and it's, boys, it's time to wake up. And it's not a particularly difficult process, right? Sometimes you gotta, you know, rip the covers off or whatever it may be, sometimes turn the light on, sometimes open the curtains, sometimes play a funny trumpet noise, right, just to annoy them. But, you know, you go in and I do that sometimes at least. My dad did it to me. Am I the only one who does that? but it's not a particularly difficult process. They've been sleeping for 10, 12 hours, and then it's, guys, time to wake up, and they wake. And Paul's saying, guys, such is the authority of Jesus over life and even death itself. And when he says, it's time to wake up, those in Christ, wake. The dead rise and have new life. That's his authority over the grave. And that's what he tells us next, right? Because Jesus died and rose again. Look at this, verse 14. This is the very heart of the gospel. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's where our hope comes from. Jesus died on our behalf for our sin, to pay for our sin, to forgive it, to wash us clean, and then rose again. He died and rose again. Even so, we believe, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And I think that's important. You circle that or underline, from a word from the Lord. Paul's not saying, hey, this we declare to you based on our opinion. Or this we declare to you because we deduced it from logic. We logically, this we deduce from you because, hey, I had a friend who told me about their near-death experience and this is what they saw. No, he says, this we are telling you, declaring to you by a word from the Lord himself. I don't know if he's saying that's because of what Jesus said in the gospels or whether Jesus spoke this to him directly at another time, but what he is saying is, man, God said this. God has promised this so you can trust it. We declare this to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Again, the Thessalonians seem to be asking this question, yeah, but what happens to those who have gone and they're in Christ? Do they miss out on the coming of of the kingdom? And Paul is like, nope, (laughs) they're going to wake. Jesus has that authority. Mark 5, remember the father who comes to Jesus and says, my daughter's dying. You come, please save her before she dies. And Jesus goes along the way and he stopped along the way and is delayed. And people come from the father's house and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's gone. And Jesus says, no, (laughs) she's just sleeping. And then he comes, right? And he says, honey, it's time to wake up. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. That's going to be an amazing moment for those who are in Christ This is both a comfort and a warning, a terrifying moment for those who are not in Christ. That's why I implore you this morning, if you're not in Christ, to begin thinking today if you haven't already, about eternity, about your life, your soul, and your relationship to the Lord, what you believe. But he says with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. It's time to wake up. And then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Circle that, underline it. We will always be with the Lord. I'll come back to that at the very end. And therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right, a couple of things here. First, I want to pause there at what he just said at the end of verse 18, and also he talked about it in verse 13, and asked the question, hey, what's the purpose of Paul talking about these things? Why does Paul write to the Thessalonians and talk about the return of Jesus? Because I think sometimes we get lost in that, right? We want to know the timing and the manner of the return and all of that, but Paul writes to them with a very specific purpose. The reason he mentions the return of Christ and talks about the trumpet call and the return and the rest, it's for comfort." And encouragement. Those two things. Verse 13 and verse 18 said, I want to encourage, I want to comfort you. I don't want you to be uninformed. He's comforting grieving Christians. And he says, I also want you to encourage you and help you encourage one another with these words. So for the Christian, Jesus's return should comfort and encourage, not confuse. For the Christian, Jesus's return should comfort us and encourage us, not confuse us. And if you're here and you're not a believer, I've already said it, in some ways it should confront you. It should confront you to cause you to think about these things. But the reason I think that's so important to remember, as we think about the return of Jesus, as we talk about it, as we talk about it in small group, in life group, as you think about it personally, as you pray through it, as you study, we're going to study Revelation and fall, right, in the fall. And we'll talk more uh, probably about the different interpretations. There's a lot of debate if you are a Christian. Some of you, you're, I'm gonna say these terms, you're gonna be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Kale, And others of us, you're like, I'm ready to have that debate now, right? Revelation 20 talks about the thousand-year reign of Christ, and there's different opinions on, well, when does that happen? Is there a rapture? What's the timing of the rapture? And uh, some people are called premillennialists, and they think Jesus is going to come right before the thousand-year reign. Some people are millennialists. They don't really think the thousand-year reign is a thing. And some people post-millennialists, and they think Jesus is going to come after that. And some of you are drooling right now. I can see it, right? And then others of you are like on the edge of your seat, like, here we go, right? But here's what I want to say. I'm not saying there's no value in discussing those things. What I am saying is every time that Paul's talking about this and every time the scriptures talk about this, it's with this purpose of I'm not trying to confuse you and give you a calendar so you can watch that go by. I'm trying to comfort you and encourage you and call you towards godly living. As we talk about the return of Christ, I I resonate deeply with what John Frame says. I'm gonna read this quote to you. John Frame is a theologian, and I just love his perspective on this. He says, the discussion around Jesus's return has, and I quote, important practical consequences. And Frame goes on to say this, I confess my disappointment that so much teaching about the last days is focused on the order of events. I honestly don't believe that the Bible is perfectly clear on the order of events. In my view, When Scripture tells about the return of Christ, it doesn't give us this information so that we can put it on a chart and watch the events as they pass by. That would be catering to our intellectual pride, among other things. Why then does Scripture have so much to say about the last days? Listen to this. So that we can reorder our lives in the light of Jesus' coming. It's this promise, He's coming, live your life in light of His return. He goes on to say this, so far as I can see, every Bible passage about the return of Christ is written for a practical purpose, not to help us develop a theory of history, but to motivate our obedience, End quote. And I might add to that, to comfort us and to encourage us and to call us toward godly living. So my point again is, it's not a confusing code to crack. I know some of it, as you read it, there are questions that arise, and that's okay. But don't miss the main point. The Apostle Paul just wrote to them and said, guys, Jesus is coming back, and He's coming back with the cry of command, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then all of us will be reunited in the Lord, and we will be with Him forever. Encourage one another with those words. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, and we know how the story ends. We will be with Him again. The idea is this, when you know how the story ends and you know the glorious nature of that ending, it helps you endure with hope through the darkest chapters. When you know how the story, you've ever been in a book, right? And you're reading it and you're like, this is all, I mean, it's getting hard. You're like, this is tough. And so you flip to the end really quick and you're like, does this have a happy ending? In a sense, that's what Paul is doing for us right now in the midst of the grief, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the heartache. Lord, how does this end? And Paul zooms us out and fast forward and says, Christ is coming back and the dead in Christ will rise. The sleeping will wake and those of us who are still alive will be with them and we will be with him forever. So take heart, be encouraged, be comforted and live your life in light of his return, because knowing how the story ends can help you in the midst of the darkest chapters. We've had a lot of folks in our church who have lived this out, who are living it out right now. And so I wanted to share with you uh, here in just a second uh, a story video uh, of someone who has walked right through one of those darkest chapters, has experienced that pain, but also has found hope uh, through the presence of God and through the promises of God. So if you will, watch with me uh, Charity's story. Hope
1: Hope is a light in the darkness. Michaela was just full of life and energy and always smiling and laughing. Everyone thought that she was their best friend um, after they met her and loved to sing and loved music and she was just really special. January 24th started like any other day it is a somber day at buckeye valley local schools grief counselors are there and available to help students cope with the loss of two of their classmates the classmates were killed in a crash on state route 257. i saw troopers in our work parking lot and i was like oh man i wonder what's going on or what happened i'll pray for whoever that is then the troopers came in our front door of the office and asked for me when they told me that Michaela was in a car accident and that she didn't make it. My world was knocked out from under me, obviously. And looking back, I can see how God was with me every step of the way, even though he felt really far off at the time. Obviously, you know, the pain was just very raw and intense at at first. I would try to just take walks and and go down the road and listen to worship music, and I couldn't even bring myself to sing a single note. Um, I would just, you know, cry the whole time. He he met me in those moments, and it's not like I heard an audible voice, but I just knew that that he was grieving beside me. People just came beside us to bring food and to bring meals, and um, it's just very humbling to have to rely on people and need people but you realize that that's how God set things up and how he shows his faithfulness is through people and their love and care. God's definitely just given me a different perspective now that you know every day is a gift and somehow I've come to learn in my journey not to ask by me but um, to ask why not me? He's with us in the struggles and in the heartaches, and um, He will come again to to deal with suffering and to make all things new so that when we're in heaven, um, He'll wipe every tear from our eye. And I I'm so grateful for that, and I can't wait for that day.
0: When it comes to grief and sorrow and loss and hardship and the walking through the valley of the shadow of death is this tension between uh, presence and promise, right? What do I need in that moment? What do you need in that moment? Do we need God's presence or do we need God's promises? Uh, Do we need other people and their presence, right, just to sit with us and cry with us? Or do we need some information at that point in time, some promises that can help us through that moment? And, And I think you hear, you know, we tend to lean one or the other, right? And I think the answer is both. And I heard Charity say it in the story, she said, man, God met me there. People met me there, right? Came with meals, sat with me. Sometimes we need people to just sit next to us, cry, and shut up, right? Job's friends, right? I remember reading, they said they really got in trouble when they opened their mouths, right? They sat for a long time just in silence, and then then they tried to give lots of explanations. Sometimes we just need people to sit with us and say, I'm sorry, and cry with us. We need to know that from the Lord as well. Like, God, I need to know that you understand. And I need to know that in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he promises that. He is there. His presence is there. And he understands. God, do you understand my grief? Few people know the pain of losing a child. But God does. God gave his very son. His only begotten Son, in order to save us and make us his sons and daughters. God understands Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And his presence is there in those moments. And at the same time, while we need presence, we also need those promises. We need need to know how the story ends. And we need the Lord and and fellow believers to come alongside of us and in the right times and in the right moment and led by the Holy Spirit to share with us. The Apostle Paul here is sharing with them, guys, I want you to know how the story ends. I want you to know there's meaning in the midst of the suffering and this is not purposeless. And there's purpose in this pain and Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new. The way Charity said it, "I, I know that Jesus is coming back to deal with all suffering To wipe every tear from our eyes and to make all things new. We need the presence and we need the promises. We need to know, Jesus, you died and rose again, and with a cry of command, you're returning, and the dead in Christ will rise first. It's time to wake up, and those who are still living will be with you. And this is not forever, and this is not how it all ends. We will be with the Lord forever, and the psalmist tells us there'll be fullness of joy in His presence. Revelation tells us there'll be no more pain, no more crying, no more Lost, for the former things have passed away, and every tear from every eye wiped away by the Lord Himself as He makes all things new. First Corinthians 15 tells us, right now we see dimly as if in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. And 2 Corinthians 4 tells us somehow, some way, when we're face to face with Jesus Himself, we will be able to look back from that perspective and see how all of it was worth it. And how all the suffering and the pain that God is using it, and somehow, some way, it will serve to even increase our joy when we're face to face with Jesus Himself. And Paul tells us somehow, amazingly, that it will feel even this weight that feels crushing now will somehow feel light and momentary compared to the weight of glory that we experience and receive from the Lord in His presence. We need the presence, and we need the promises. We need the words, right? This song we're gonna sing here, we sang the chorus of it last week, but the words of the song say this, there's peace that outlasts darkness, hope that's in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. So I can face tomorrow for tomorrow's in your hands. And all I need, you will provide, just like you always have. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. You're my savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death." I told you earlier just to underline, we will be with you again, to circle it, to remember it, to commit it to heart. I think that is the ultimate reason for hope. Jesus, you died, you rose again, we are free, we are forgiven, and one day we will be with you forever. With the Lord forever. That is how the story ends, and nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not life, not even death. And so my prayer for us is that, Lord, would you make that true of us? No more fear in life, Or death, because that's hard. And Jesus, we need your presence and we need your promises, and may that encourage us and may we encourage one another with these words. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I do pray uh, this morning, and I want to give us a moment uh, just to sit in your presence. Father, I pray for those who are here today who are mourning uh, and grieving the loss of loved ones. Father, I know that can be hard and if there are loved ones who we're not sure if they knew Christ, God, will you help us just to entrust them uh, to you and to trust you and your faithfulness in the midst of that? Father, will you help us uh, to trust you in the midst of grief, to trust you on the mountaintops, to trust you in the valleys, to trust you in the good moments and in the bad ones. Father, there were a number of people I thought about even this morning. uh, Mourning loved ones, God, that they know are in Christ And while it's hard, Father, on a daily basis, while we continue on and it feels like they are lost, God, help us to remember they are not lost, they're asleep. And they will rise again. They will wake. And we will be with them and we will be with you forever. I want to give you just a moment to pray. Let's just sit in silence for a moment. Just take some time to pray. And maybe you're wrestling through this yourself, grieving loss morning and I would encourage you just to ask the Lord this morning for his presence, for his promises to come and encourage your heart. And then maybe it's not you personally, but you know of someone in your life group, in your family, in your friend group, maybe someone you're sitting next to. Would you just take a moment and pray for them? and pray God's comfort and encouragement over their life. As we just stay in that spirit of prayer. It's real personal time for folks. I wanna say to those of us here today, maybe you came today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And the apostle Paul laid it out very simply. He said, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so we believe that he'll bring us with him. And I said earlier, the return of Christ is such a comfort and encouragement to those in Christ, but it really confronts those not in Christ. I don't want you, you don't want to meet Jesus when he returns, not under his grace. But the scriptures say that today is the day of salvation, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you walked in these doors, not knowing Christ, I just want (laughs) to plead with you. It does not matter where you've come from, It doesn't matter what your family background is. It doesn't matter how messed up your life looks right now. It doesn't matter how deep the valley. And it doesn't matter what you've believed up until this point in time. If today the Lord has opened your eyes and you're saying, I believe Jesus is the son of God who paid for my sin and I want to trust him today, that relationship can start now. And I'd invite you just to take a minute and pray. You pray with me. Pray in your own words. Heavenly Father, God, I ask for your forgiveness. And I receive your grace today through repentance and faith. I am turning from my sin and I'm trusting you with my life. And Jesus, I'm declaring today, you are my only hope. will you save me? Will you make me new? And will you wash me clean and give me a new start? Again, as we just stay in that spirit of of prayer, I don't don't always ask this, but I'm going to ask it today. If you prayed that with me, nobody's looking at you right now, right? People are, folks are praying. Nobody's going to point you out. But I would love to be able to pray for you and just know that you took that step today. So would you just slip your hand up if you prayed with me today and you're saying, hey, I wanna take that step to start a relationship with Jesus today. Just slip your hand up real quick and you slip it right back down. You don't have to say anything, do anything other than just slip it up and slip it down. Yeah, thanks. You slip it up and slip it down. Thank you. Father, once again, we love you. We ask for your encouragement and for your grace in the midst of the good seasons and the bad. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.